Okay, so Biblical Soul Care, our last chapter, chapter 10, which is entitled, Why You Must Deal With Your Sins of Anger. Um, very important chapter. Uh, we've learned a lot, but the introduction here says, change is hard. <coughs> Many of us have been instructed and shown how we ought to live concerning a variety of topics and life situations. We know how we ought to love one another, care for the vulnerable, be unselfish, live for the glory of God, resolve conflict, live generously, uproot anger, and we can go on and on. Yet, it is very difficult to force ourselves to change patterns of thought, word, and behavior. So why is change so difficult to initiate and to maintain? Why is it so hard? Jason. You're trying to redirect the river of your heart like I mean if you've ever if you've ever seen when like you try to force rivers to follow a certain path it's a battle like they want to like God put that river there and it wants to be where it was so it'll wear down it'll erode you'll have you know land loss eventually left to its own devices it'll go back and that's you know it's our it's our sinful flesh wanting to be our sinful flesh, and it's our um, desire to please God that's trying to harness that and redirect it. So I think it's just it's, you're fighting against your nature. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a sinful nature. We have uh, a disposition to do what we want to do. So a lot of times it's just do what's convenient or easy. Um, so especially if we found anger to be something that works for us, to want to change that, it's going to be difficult. But yeah, so we have our own habits and our own sinful nature to contend with. What else? What else makes it hard <coughs> to change? change is hard to initiate or maintain? You have to maintain the importance of it daily. Yeah, the, it's the daily chaos of life or busyness of life. It's hard to keep your eyes focused on, your heart focused on what we should be. There's a lot of distractions. That's very good, yeah. What about other people? Back into your behaviors, which they could cope with better mm -hmm. than having you do 
everyone's life in these types of things. So if, it, if you're in a, if, um, a very dysfunctional family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there's two things there. That you, whatever's modeled for us is kind of what we can default to a lot of times. And if we haven't seen it done differently, whatever the habit is, we're just kind of naturally do those things that we've seen before us. I think the other thing you, t you touched on is like the peer pressure aspect. If you, whether it is a dysfunctional thing or if just everybody is spending their time binge watching Netflix and then you don't and you try to get your friends to come do things or you, like there's even something small like that, when the culture and the society that we're around is one way with anger, you know, they, they say that anger is a good thing or they say that you, well, you really need to vent your anger. You need to just, I know it might get ugly, but you just gotta let it out. But that's, that's kind of the common accepted way to deal with anger. And when we are teaching or trying to change that because we see that scripturally, that's not righteous. That is sinful and we don't want to continue in sin. So we're changing, that can make it uncomfortable. It's, it's hard to change and be something that doesn't seem like many people around you are, are doing or being. Anything else? I think it's there's also that as soon as you start working on it, that God gives you lots of opportunities to see, you know, you may think it's only directed in this one area, but then you see how big the problem really mm -hmm. is. <laughs> so it can be very that can be discouraging in learning because now it's way bigger than what you thought it was. Yeah. Sometimes we're blind to our own sins and how and the, the magnitude of the problem. So sometimes so we need we need other people to help us and come alongside of us and, and see and show us how big the problem really is. And then that brings its own host of problems in there because it's hard it's hard to accept that kind of criticism and, and help from people because we are proud. I don't I don't really want you to try to pick through my life, look through and see what things I need to work on. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty good, all right? I've got things figured out. I'm not that angry. Just a little bit. It's a little problem. So if we don't see the, the magnitude of the problem, it's going to be hard to, to really see the need for a change. Those are good points. Any other, any other comments before we continue? Change, yeah, change is hard. It's hard. No matter what you're trying to change, whether that's like, you know, waking up early or drinking less vanilla Coke. I'm not sure who might want to do that. I don't know. But, um, exercising, you know, wh whatever it is, uh, less TV, less screen time, putting the phone away. Oh, there's a whole bunch of, of things we can go on and on. Change is difficult. And if you don't remember why we're supposed to be doing it, it it's even more difficult. In our final chapter of Uprooting Anger, we're, we're going to come to an uncomfortable truth. We all struggle with sinful anger, and we know we must do something about it. In fact, we now know a great deal about where, about what we should do about it. So this morning, we're going to talk about how we can stay motivated to keep dealing with it. Robert Jones writes about three extra motivations found in Scripture to help inspire us and warn us to deal with our sinful anger. So he's going to go through and kind of give a positive and a negative statement. I've rephrased it, so that's not there. So if you are reading the book... Like I hope you are. You, it'll be a little bit. The headings will be a little bit different, but um, we're gonna go through his three, um, three motivations. But before we do that, 
to turn to someone around you real quick and see if you can come up with and remember the definition of anger that we've been repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating some more. So do that. Take 30 seconds. See if you can come up with a definition and then somebody can tell me what it is. Go. Piece it together with somebody around you. What is the definition of anger, according to Robert Jones? Not everybody wants. I know. You all know it. You all want to share it. I mean, technically, I could call on somebody since you were all. I know you were all talking about it. Oh, who? Who was it? Very good. So that one one missing word. Active. So that one missing word there. The whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Now, what is the whole person part about? Why is it? Why is that important in the definition? It's a whole person active response. How is that different from maybe our culture's view of anger? Because some some people might say, maybe I'm wrong here, but like you might be angry in your mind, but as long as you can control it and you don't physically show it, well, you're, you're not angry. You're controlling everything about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So some people might think it's just, it's just an inside thing. As long as it stays inside, it's not really a problem. Okay. They also might say it's just an emotion. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's just an emotion that we ha feel sometimes. Just like we're happy. Sometimes we're angry. Sometimes are disappointed. It's just an emotional thing. It's not merely an emotional thing, right? It is an emotion, sure, but it it also affects our physical bodies. Okay, we have physical reaction. We also are are choosing things that involves our will. So it's our whole person, and then active response is you do anger. It's something that you do, just like you ride a bike and you anger. You go around angering, you know. So there is an active nature to anger, okay? So the whole person active response of negative moral judgment. What's that about? Yeah, it's 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 a moral judgment, right? We're we're saying that thing is bad, that thing is wicked or evil. It needs to stop. Okay, or something is being neglected that ought not to be neglected. Somebody needs to do something about that. So we're making a moral statement about it. 
Okay, so whenever somebody's angry at something, they're calling something evil. Okay, so when you're driving down the road, you get angry at the person in front of you because they cut you off, you're making a moral judgment on that person. Right? So that's what we're doing when we are angry. Okay? Whole person active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. Why is that word perceived really important? You don't know why he cut you off. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, there may have been a reason for that. Uh -huh. I don't know what it could be, but mm -hmm. maybe his wife in labor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's, maybe he's checking Facebook. I don't know. Some, you know. Jason, what, what else? So, or you're angry at something that has no sentience. Like, I get angry when I get my finger slammed in a door. The door's just the door. It doesn't really have a, it's ne neither good nor evil. But the curse of sin stubbed my toe, slammed my, yeah, I'm angry. It's wicked, that so door. <laughs> right. So there is. So there, yeah, we are saying something is evil, even if that thing is not a person. The weather. Okay, if we're angry because it's raining on the day when I was supposed to do this fun thing, or a tornado, a tornado blew through, or or COVID shut down something. We can be angry at things that aren't necessarily people. Um, we can be angry at groups, organizations, and all kinds of things. But the perceived evil is, in as, as I see it, I'm judging it to be evil, even though it may not be. The intention of that person or group, or, or if it's a thing, doesn't have an intention. But that's just the way it is. I may be misjudging somebody's motives. And that's, that's part of the problem with anger as well. Is I, if I'm angry at you, 99% of the time, I am saying, making a judgment about you, your motives. Believing I can see into your heart and mind, and I know that you're just trying to mess with me. You're trying to make me angry. You're trying to hurt me. That's a problem. Right? So sometimes that's true, but a lot of times it's not. Most of the time it's not. They're not thinking about you. Okay? So that is the reality. So when we are angry, we are making a moral judgment against what we perceive to be evil. Now, when we, when our perception is aligned with scripture, okay, we're good. But then we, there's some other things that we've learned along the way. And I've been taking too long on these reviews. But, so we're going to keep going. Um, but just have that definition fresh in your mind. And we're going to think about why, so we know what anger is. We know how we ought to deal with it. We know even some key scriptures. What are some key scriptures that we, that we should all know and be ready with when we are angry or when someone we love and, and is struggling with anger, what, what texts can we go to to help? Well, just patient and uh, does not envy, does not boast, does not pride, does not dishonor others, or does not self seek in what is not evil, anger, keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Okay. So, first Corinthians 13, I believe you said. Yeah, so looking at the Love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13. Thinking about that's kind of help us to balance out our understanding of anger. What else? Where else can we go?
Philippians 4, I believe is, is where it's... Philippians 4, we're trying to find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. James 4, talking about unfulfilled selfish desires that right. control. Yeah, good reminder too. Where, where do these fights and quarrels and this anger, where is it coming from? It's coming from the desires and passions that are in our own hearts. I can't say, it is not accurate to say, she made me mad. She can't jump into my heart and make me call something evil and, and respond in that way. She can't do that. He can't do that. Okay, The door that I just slammed my thumb into can't do that. I am responsible for my anger. I have these beliefs and these motivations that I'm clinging to. And when those things are threatened, I respond in anger. How dare that door slam onto my thumb? Doesn't it know who I am? Okay, that's, that's I, I believe that nothing should hurt me. And when something hurts me, I get mad, I get mad at it, right? So when, when I believe that my uh, children should obey me and respect me all the time, when they don't, I get mad. Because I'm clinging to that desire, that passion, too tightly. We know that we're clinging to something, even if it's a good thing, too tightly, when we're willing to sin if it's taken away, or if we think it's about to be taken away. And we sin against those people too. Because of that, then we're clinging too tightly to that desire. Any other text that you would go to? Jason? <coughs> Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Yep. And in, in the words of Christ, saying, If you're angry at your brother, you are committing murder in your heart. your heart and you're committing murder which makes you liable to judgment he says right yeah Matthew 5 21 and 22 is there any scripture that kind of leads to frustration also being connected to anger I have a hard time convincing some people that they're frustrated with their alternative hmm. that's a good question I'm not sure you're going to find the word frustration in there but as you think about just would probably take some conversations about, well, what do you mean you're frustrated? Why are you frustrated? And walking them through that, trying to, to help them figure out what, it, what in their heart is being disruptive, like what desire, what are they wanting? When I'm frustrated, it's because I have a desire, and you, you might have to just go to James 4 and kind of walk through, okay, you have a desire, and it's not being met, so you quarrel and fight. So you, I mean, Call it frustration if you want to, but that's not, that's not, the, you can tell them that's not the biblical answer. The biblical answer is, depends on if you're talking to a believer or not, right? But, but yeah, I would walk them through for James 4. Um, and then you can kind of go through, um, Malachi brought up 1 Corinthians 13. There's um, Ephesians 4 would be like, how, how, do we, how are we to treat one another um, with forgiveness and love and mercy? In fact, um, we'll, we'll go through Ephesians 4 in just uh, a little bit. Um, the whole chapter of Ephesians 4 would be a good one to, to just walk through. How are we to treat one another in, in the context of, of the church? And, and when we come together, how, how do we love one another? Um, and it's not with selfishness, but with 
putting on or putting on Christ and putting off the old way that we used to, to live. And there's also some really good proverbs. You know, Proverbs 15, one a soft answer turns away wrath. Okay, so those um, Proverbs are filled with, with uh, scriptures about anger. Well, this all goes back to because I don't remember the text, but it's not just innocent things, it goes to a song, a song of retribution, uh, where mm-hmm. there is a place to some extent for anger, where when David asked the Lord to strike down and curse, like in pretty explicit, violent terms, his enemies. Yeah. yeah. Um, In those kinds of pro- those kinds of psalms, we, w- we would say that, like David, being the king of Israel, which is God's that's God's country, right? That 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 is a unique thing that David can do because he's Israel, and, and when when other nations would attack Israel, that was an attack on God on Yahweh, and so David is praying for not just like because his kingdom is being messed with, but be- God's name is at stake, right? So. God's glory, God's name, God's fame. So he's, David is saying, God, make that right. They're, they're doing this. They're attacking me, but really they're attacking you. And so that's what David's doing. We, we would not pray that for, for people of our, our enemies. We, um, like Romans 12 would be another key text. Romans 12, going to like 17 through 21, it talks about what we do with our enemies. You know, we, we pray for them. We do good to them. Um, and we leave the vengeance. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And we leave wrath, room for the wrath of God. So we, I don't have to take revenge or pray that the Lord would crush them and kill them and do all these. Well, I, ultimately, we ought to desire their salvation, their repentance, because, but for the grace of God, I, I will do that. Um, and when they cut us off, we should <laughs> Yeah. I'm sure you've cut in front of people too, their mouth. So, but yeah, there's that that issue of okay, when I when somebody does something to me, evaluating now it, there, it was, brings in those three criteria for anger and what do we do with anger? And it's not, I don't want to say, and then the next in a few weeks when we get to the palace and a couple of chapters, it, it'll be really helpful to determine I we don't want to believe that anger is bad all the time. Okay? About 98% of our anger is bad, but there are times when, when we ought to be angry. Okay? There are appropriate times to be angry with things because there is evil in the world. Okay? There are things that are um, belittling and mocking God. Okay? So when, when our anger is about sin, remember the three categories, or the three components, if it's about sin, if it's concerned with God's kingdom and not my own, God's priorities, not mine, and if it's my anger coexists with other godly characteristics like patience and gentleness and love and compassion, when, when those three things are there, then yes, I ought to be angry at things like uh, the killing of the unborn. I ought to be angry at flaunting of sin that God calls sin. Right? We're in Pride Month. There's an element of that that just taking creation 
and turning it upside down that should be should cause in us an anger but very importantly it does not mean <clears throat> that we go to that parade and start throwing things and cussing at them and telling them that they're all going to hell and now if they're unrepentant they will go to hell when they die just like every other person who will if they do not repent will go to hell but there is in us, there should be an anger at the evil that is being promoted that should move us to act. We don't just say, well, just, I don't know. Can't be angry at them, so I'll just let them do what they're going to do. No, we, we go and we pray for them. We try and convince and talk with them. We love them. We invite them uh, to church with us, and we pray that as they hear the word of God preached and taught, as we interact with them with love and gentleness and tell them the truth, pray that they'd be safe. Jason? I think a good, a good uh, <coughs> compliment to what you're saying is Jude, just the book of Jude, where he's warning against these people coming into the church and preaching these things. And he's angry, like you can, you can, you can hear, like this, he's not happy with what they're doing. But ultimately, he says, in verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching men out of the fire, and on some mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So I think, yeah, David, David prayed these things, but we have further, you know, as on this side of the cross, David was on the other side of the cross. On this side of the cross, we're, we're to pray for them. We're to be angry at the things that they're doing, but ultimately we we give that to God and his mercy and his kindness. So, yeah, we can be furious about them, but, you know, they're still, they're still souls that are in need of saving. Yeah, and what, our, what, our, what we do with our anger is very important. Right? If, if our anger is moving towards reconciliation and... Um, preaching the gospel, helping someone to know the truth and to be saved, that, that's good. If our anger causes us to retreat or to harm or to push them away or to do some, then we're, that's pro we got a problem. Okay? And, some, so, and that requires a lot of wisdom, and we can talk about what ifs all, all day long. There's different situations where we, maybe we should go and engage, maybe we shouldn't. Um, but in general, our anger should cause us to move towards the Lord and try and reconcile with the person that we're having conflict with or trying to reconcile them to the Lord if they don't know the Lord, trying to, to teach them and tell them the gospel, praying for them all, all the whole time. As, as we're talking with them, as we think about them, um, there, there should be a mercy knowing that we deserve the wrath of God for our rebellion and our sin against God. And they are rebels as well. They're not beyond Lord's ability to save them. Right? So we pray, we, we extend love and mercy uh, through the gospel. You know, watering down the gospel, not telling them that, well, you know, you just change a couple things about them. No, we tell them the, the biblical gospel with a heart of, hum, of humility and gentleness. And then we pray that the Lord will work. The Spirit will regenerate. And move towards reconciliation. So our anger, though, should move us that way. Should not move us to slam the door and, and 
and leave and walk away. And that's in a variety of, of relationships and contexts. So, but yeah, we'll get into a lot more of that uh, in the coming weeks. What, what do we do? How should anger move us to act? Right? Because it's it's also also sinful. We have, it's been a while since we said this. It's also sinful to not be angry when you ought to be. So, it, just because you never get angry at anything doesn't mean that you've got the anger thing mastered. That there ought to be anger at times. If you're never angry ever, that's a problem as well. So, well, we're gonna get through page one for sure. <laughs> All right. The objective today, we're going to explore the three motivations that God graciously gives us to continue rooting out sinful anger when we see it. So if somebody asks you, what's the big deal with uprooting anger in their lives, what would you tell them? I just have a little bit of anger. I mean, is it really that big a deal? I don't like punching holes in walls and stuff. Matthew 5. God, God's standard is not your standard. It's not, not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Good. That's a great place to go. When you harbor anger in your heart against a person, you actually give them control over your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're not focusing on yourself and how you can improve your own life. You are focusing on the sin of someone else that you can do anything about. Mm-hmm. So if you, you know, teach people that are angry at someone, Sin always is destroying more than you think it is. Right? Sin is always destroying more than we think it is. And it's always deeper than we think it goes. So if I think I have got this much of an anger problem, what's the reality? Like this big of an anger problem. So that we have a bigger problem with our sin than we think. We're, we're blind to our own blindness. Some person, somebody said, I forget who said that, but we we struggle to see the extent of our own sin. So if we have, if we know I've got a little bit of a sin problem, it's probably like the iceberg that has, you know, a tiny bit above the surface and below the surface there's a huge mass of a problem. Just ask the Titanic. Ask the Titanic, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little ice won't hurt anybody. No. Yeah. Mark, I know you get a little Christian cancer, just a little cancer. Just got a little yeah. cancer. It'll work. Just a little tumor, right? No, it, it will... Sin doesn't stay in one place. It's another reality of, of our sinful nature. If we have a sin, it's not going to stay that size or that limited. It will spread, and it will grow, and it will deepen. I think it has an effect on our thought life as well, because we'll take every thought captive, and uh, it kind of pollutes that. Yeah. I'll take every thought captive except for that one because they did something really mean to me. Right? I think one practical thing that we have to remember when someone minimizes their perceived level of anger is that we live in a culture that's commoditized rage. <coughs> and so, like from all sides, wherever you're standing, you get lots of like social points for being angrier than the next person. Mm-hmm. I am pretty sure if any of you have Facebook you can see people more angry about stuff than abolitionists were about slavery. 
they're more angry about like the water lines in Emporia than published like than John. They're more angry about that than John Brown was about slavery. And then they get points because then everyone else piles on and approves of their rage. And so we live in a culture that has turned up the level of acceptable, culturally acceptable rage so high that the reasonable, objective place where you should be about these things, we have just blown so far past it that I don't think, I think we're culturally numb to this reality. And on top of that, I mean, you're not punching holes in it like that. <laughs> like, if, if you're not doing it now, and you're, but you allow it, it's going to happen eventually, especially with the monetary rage. Once you figure out that you actually can be serious. Yeah, and it's not just like, it's not just that it's acceptable, it's like it's encouraged. It, you can you can go and, and online especially and you make a blog post, you tweet about it, you post it on Facebook, you can get likes and you get people that come alongside you and, they, and it's like, hey, this is like a sport. Just going anger all over the place, right? There, it is a, it's not just acceptable sometimes. It is encouraged and fostered. So, what is the foundational reason that we should uproot sinful anger wherever we find it in our own heart first? What's the foundational reason? I think understanding that sin, any sin, is believing something contrary to what God has said. So you're, where God says, like, don't be angry, let me handle it, we're believing that we can handle it better. Mm. So there's always to every sin a root of apostasy and believing on to what you just said there, Jennifer, it's if God tells us to do something, he's God, we should obey, right? So that foundationally, at the bottom level, God commands us to do it, and we're going to look at that here. Uh, Ephesians 4.31, Paul writes, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Didn't say most of it. Didn't say do that unless they did something really bad. No, let all bitterness and wrath and anger be put away with you, away from you. Page 2, Colossians 3, 5 through 8. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Paul is not giving us options. What's the clear command that Paul's giving? Get rid of it. Get it out of there. Put it away from you. Put to death your anger. We don't have a lot of options. But he didn't stay there. He didn't just say, okay, obey, do it. He also, look at 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. His divine power, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, 
by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. He doesn't just say, obey and figure out how you're going to do it. No, obey, and I'm giving you the power to do it. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So the foundational reason we should uproot anger when we find it in our hearts is because God commands it. Not only does he command us to put away our sinful anger, he also gives us all the power and wisdom we need to change. But there's more. In his goodness, God gives more motivation to walk in a way in the way that he prescribes in his word. So Jones highlights three themes found in scripture that motivate us to do the hard work of uprooting sinful anger wherever we find it or whenever and wherever it is pointed out to us. So <coughs> the foundation is God commands it and he gives us what we need to obey it. And as believers, Christians, our greatest desire is to glorify God and obey him, express our love to him by obeying his word. So, but we, he also gives us some motivations. Number one is for the good of your physical and spiritual health. And Peggy touched on this just a little bit ago. Um, and I just did a little bit of research, but there's anger. There's studies indicating that it is, it is linked to all kinds of um, health problems. And, and it's both extreme. It's, it's the ones who extreme, like vent and like break and yell and scream and, and that kind of anger. But it's also, uh, and even sometimes there's more problems when people who clam it up and try to make sure nobody knows that they're angry. Both ends of that spectrum have, there's ties to um, heart disease and blood pressure issues, uh, stroke, even diabetes. Um, there's other, I'm trying to remember what the other ones were. I was reading several articles that they are pointing to all these things that happen as you uh, don't deal with anger. Ulcers. Ulcers, yeah. Yeah. Um, lack of sleep, insomnia, probably not eating well. There's a lot of things that start to compound. And, and a lot of times, it's when we spend some time with people and you try to help them and love them through these things, it comes down to there's, they're angry at things, at people, circumstances, and out of that anger, they're causing all kinds of problems. There's a, there's a couple of sayings, um, quotes that I have somewhere in here. Um, John Stott, a famous preacher, he, had, I had, he says, I, had, I have never really been tempted to leave pastoral ministry, to leave this, because I have taken precautions. I have recognized that human beings are psychosomatic creatures. It's a big word that means you, you have a body and you have a spirit. You have a soul. Okay, we're not just physical. So we're psychosomatic creatures uh, so that our bodily condition has a powerful influence on our spiritual life. And we could say vice versa. Our spiritual life has a very big impact on our physical condition. Um, I have tried to maintain a disciplined life, ensuring adequate sleep, food, and exercise. And someone else also said, the body and the soul live in such close proximity that they catch one another's diseases. <laughs> okay? So when, when you are, and, and think about it, when you have, have pain in your body, how is like, how's your spirit? How are you emotionally? Usually, you're not very happy, right? Especially if it's like, this is like second week of having these migraines or 
This is this back pain I've been dealing with for months or years. Okay, think of I mean people who have cancer and battling cancer, and they're in their you know they were in remission, and now it's back. Um, so you can go on and on. Physical problems that affect us spiritually and vice versa. When I have guilt and anger and or whatever the sinful thing that I'm hiding or I'm clinging to my sin, that affects my body. So consider the physical effects that sin can have on people. Let's look at Psalm 32, 1 through 5. David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in, him, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and, you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. So what are the effects of sin that David writes about here? My bones wasted away and I groaned all day long. Yeah, so my bones wasted away. Mm -hmm. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Not really peaceful sleep happening right there, right? My strength was dried up, as in the heat of summer. Psalm 38 is, there's even more. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 38 real quick. Another another example of physical symptoms. Here David writes, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I'm utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my heart. <coughs> oh Lord, my, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs. My strength fails me. In the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions, and it goes on and on. Um, There's a lot of physical symptoms that he's experiencing because of the discipline of the Lord in his life. There's sin that he's got going on. Um, And then he goes on. There's also relationally things that people, his enemies are attacking him. So there are a lot of references. And we can think of narratives in Scripture where... People were angry and suffered physically um, for that.
don't have the Holy Spirit living in them to give them the tools needed to overcome that anger. And the wrath of God is, in a way, like Austin, like was describing here physically, you know, how that anger affects them. And it's just, um, it's so sad. And it really, like, it tugs at my heartstrings wanting to go and reach that to them. You know, and when I was reading books on some of this stuff, and uh, I was just, I was actually sitting checking people in. Every time I was checking people in, I just kept seeing them. And, like, each time I was like, you know, my heart was really reaching out to them. I was like, oh, what can I do? I'm just sitting here in the check-in litany, you know, um, trying to start a conversation with them and stuff. And I don't know, this book has just driven me to want to love them more because, you know, that anger, we, we have ways to get past it because of God. But they don't, and it just eats them alive. So I don't know. I just wanted to say yeah. that. Yeah, we should pray Look for opportunities. Yeah. Proverbs 14, 29 and 30. I'll just read it to you. Whoever is slow in anger, slow to anger, has great understanding, but he who is who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And the verse 30 is kind of a parallel. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So there's a physical component when we are spiritually in sin of struggling and our bodies feel that what about the spiritual side effects in fact let's see here we've got let's do question number nine and then we'll, we'll pause there so consider the definition of anger that you you all talked about at the beginning what spiritual effects would result from a believer's unrepentant anger Depression? How so? Because um, anger is un unexpressed way of our primitive side, you know, in the carnal mind of man. So you just completely withdraw. Okay. Kind of alienate yourself from God and from the inner life. Mm -hmm. Really yeah, so if you isolate yourself because you're angry, you're, you're going to suffer spiritually because the Lord saves you and brings you to his church he wants you to be involved in that his Christian life is not meant to be lived individually okay what else the spiritual effect of unrepentant anger it would make it a lot easier for other sins to infiltrate into your life because it can separate you from God right so if you're if you don't just have unbiblical anger then you have that anger it's a lot easier so a lot more opening the door for a lot of other sins to come in. Great point. Lose the opportunity to share God's love with people if we're living in anger. And then um, we, we can't really share God's love if we're screaming at someone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or even if I'm clamming up and I'm just angry at somebody, mm -hmm. I'm definitely not obeying God's command to love them, to serve them. So I'm disobeying the Lord. I'm not just disobeying and, and not repenting of anger. But then I'm, depending on who I'm angry at, I am pushing others away. 
I'm not loving and serving someone. I'm not praying for someone. Very good. Anything else? I think any habitual sin will make you feel guilty and might make you feel like, you know, lead you to question your salvation. Yeah. So, yeah. Like if I, if I keep having these outbursts, if I keep, you know, doing this, am I really just the behavior of a saved person? I think it just if it leaves that door open in your mind. Yeah. And sometimes it's it should be open, right? If if I just explode in anger all the time and it's a pattern and I and I'm not really trying to get rid of it, I'm just like, you know, it's effective. You know, you know, punch something and people don't mess with me anymore. They do what I want. All I have to do is just give them that that comment, raise the, the level of my voice, use that tone, and it works. So I don't really want to get rid of that unrepentant sin. Sometimes if it's, I mean, this is, you, you'll need some brothers and sisters to help you, but maybe you should be thinking, well, maybe I'm not a believer. I don't really want to be godly. That's, that's a problem, right? So sometimes, and that's one of the things we'll talk about, sometimes it, it should make you think, hmm, maybe I don't really want to please God like a Christian does, like a Christian ought to. It should be maybe some search, some soul searching, right? Good. But yeah, I like your point about guilt as well. There's, we know it's wrong. There's guilt, and, and when we're guilty, uh, we can do one of two things. What, what do we do with our guilt? We can take it to the Lord, or we can try and run from it and hide from it. So, a lot of things that we'll, we'll continue talking at that point, talking about the spiritual side effects or spiritual effects of sinful anger in two weeks. Thank you, everybody.